0: Welcome. This is uh, Philippe Albuquerque. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Neurointerventional Surgery. We're thrilled today to have Pascal Jabour to discuss his most recent manuscript that is currently online and in the print journal of the JNIS. The manuscript is entitled The Incidents and Predictors of Ophthalmic Artery Occlusion in Intraarterial Chemotherapy for Retinoblastoma. At the outset, I should say that this podcast is supported by Rapid Medical. Rapid Medical develops responsive neurovascular devices for improved control of procedural success. Recently, the pivotal TIGER trial showed superior good clinical outcomes and reperfusion for the TIGER-TREVOR thrombectomy device compared to previous landmark trials. The TIGER retriever gives interventionalists greater control over clot removal, allowing them to see the device and tailor the radial force during retrieval. With this real-time responsiveness, the Pivotal trial demonstrated the lowest rate of distal emboli and 24-minute median procedure time. If you'd like more information about the TIGER retrieval device, please see their website at inforapidmedical.com. Thank you very much. And we're thrilled to uh, welcome Pascal Jabour from Jefferson University.
1: Thank you, Felipe. It's a great pleasure and honor for me to be here doing this podcast. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.
0: So, Pascal, let's just kick it off by uh, I, I really kind of want to get to the nuts and bolts of this yes. uh, paper that you've put together here. What was the impetus? to conduct this review i mean you you certainly must have had some clinical questions or concerns if you could give us a little bit of a background on this paper and and what your thinking was
1: yeah so so as you know we are lucky here at uh, jefferson to be uh, working with will's eye Uh, will's eye is the ophthalmology hospital that's connected to jefferson and The oncology department at Will's Eye actually sees uh, 50% of the retinoblastoma of the country. So this is how the collaboration started. And we noticed in the cases we're doing that uh, sometimes uh, patients come, that we do the first procedure, they come back for the second or third procedure, and we see that the ophthalmic artery is occluded. Early on, when we first started in 2008, we noticed that we were having some uh, ophthalmic artery occlusion, but because we were going uh, deep distal with the microcatheter, and this lesson we've learned it early on not to go really deep in the ophthalmic artery in our super selective injection, but just to engage the ostium of the ophthalmic artery. So we did that. And then we saw that the ophthalmic artery occlusion dropped dramatically. But then every now and then we would see a case where everything went fine. We did uh, really all the techniques that we do. We didn't go deep, distal in the ophthalmic artery, but they would come back with ophthalmic artery occlusion. At that time, we decided to look into that and look at part of our series and try to see if we can find any predictors of uh, ophthalmic artery occlusion. This is how everything started.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, just looking through your paper, you you really don't address the impact of, of ophthalmic artery occlusion. And when does that become a, an issue for you? I don't think there's a single case in your series in which you yes. relate that the patient has gone blind as a result yes. of ophthalmic artery occlusion so-
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, That's an important question. So those are babies that already come either with really decreased vision from the disease itself, from the retinoblastoma, or complete blindness already from the retinoblastoma. And those are babies, and sometimes it's tough to have an accurate uh, visual equity on them. But yeah, the problem with the ophthalmic artery occlusion is not the loss of vision, because in the older patients where we can have an accurate test, And they can uh, report and complaints. We didn't have any in those ophthalmic artery occlusion. We didn't have any loss of vision in the older population. In the babies and young, we don't know exactly. But the main issue here is not being able to deliver the chemo. And uh, this is where indirectly those patients can lose the eye practically, because uh, as you know, this IAC is able to save the eye from enucleation. And in a lot of times, mainly in partial retinal detachment, those patients will regain vision. We showed that in a couple of papers we've published where in 100% of uh, partial retinal detachment, those patients will have improved vision. And in 50% of complete retinal detachment, they will have improved vision, which originally our goal was not to improve the vision, but just to avoid an enucleation. So indirectly, by not being able to continue our IACs, the patient may become blind by just losing uh, the eye. But thankfully, as you know, we have other ways of delivering that if the ophthalmic artery occludes.
0: Yeah, Pascal, if you could, could you just kind of review what your strategy is in terms of embolizing these patients? I mean, you're, you're certainly embolizing patients that you embolize three, four or five times yeah. and occasionally the artery is occluded. What are, what are the steps that you take to ensure that you can deliver the chemotherapy to yeah. the patient? What arteries yeah. do you go to next?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So practically, as I said, there are a lot of things that we change. And originally in some of the enucleated eye, we saw on pathology, some birefringent foreign bodies in the distal uh, arteries. Uh, At that time, what we did, we stopped using any of the regular towel that we use in adults. And everything is draped with ioban all around the babies, because in those cases, it was small pieces of cotton. So this is originally Uh, we changed that early on. And we haven't seen this also after that. So practically, uh, those babies, once we get access, we heparinize them, uh, therapeutic heparin. And uh, we deliver the chemo. And then uh, the chemo, th- what we started doing also is filtering the drugs. So all those drugs are going through the microfilters to prevent precipitation and crystallization of the drug, which is this is one of the reasons also of, of microthrombosis. So we're, we do this. At the end, once we're done, we do a super selective run and then we flush everything with saline. This is also important because uh, the contrast, having the contrast stasis in, in the ophthalmic artery also uh, can be an issue. We know that during the injection, so practically we're we're stopping flow because we're super selectively catheterizing the ostium of the ophthalmic artery and we want everything to go forward. So during this injection, there are papers with animal models showing whitening of the retina during IAC because you're replacing practically the flow with just uh, the chemo. So this is important at the end to flush everything and then the the heparin. And then at at the end, you you know, once uh, once the patient comes back and we have an ophthalmic artery occlusion, we have to go to the external carotid. At that time, we rely on the external uh, carotid artery collateral to the uh, anastomosis to the internal. And in our case, we always go middle meningeal. Uh, we do a super selective catheterization of the middle meningeal artery and in the majority of those cases after the ophthalmic artery occludes proximally we will have a good a good collateral that we can use to deliver the chemo and this is how we do it in those uh, cases that have an ophthalmic artery occlusion yeah
0: so uh, pascal can you ever predict when you're done with a case and you're you're as you said flushing with saline and doing your final runs can you ever predict that particular ophthalmic artery is going to occlude, or are there are there particular signs?
1: Yeah, sometimes we can predict when we have a stenosis of the ostium, and uh, sometimes when when you go beyond three uh, treatments, uh, you can have a stenosis of the ostium. Now it wasn't statistically significant, but what we noticed that I think with with uh, more numbers we could have found uh, some other correlation, but stenosis of the ostium. Is sometimes uh, an issue after you go beyond three treatments. So those babies will get average three treatments separated by four weeks. And we've had cases where we've done seven and eight treatments. We've had uh, cases where we've done one or two treatments and they were cured. Yeah so the higher as as you know in the paper the higher numbers of catheterization the higher risk of uh, of ophthalmic artery thrombosis and this was our uh, predictor that was the only one that was statistically significant but doing oh. taking all the precautions that i talked about is really uh, crucial uh, to be able to minimize all those risks
0: yeah certainly Um, So I I know your group has published a fair amount on the radial approach. Have you adopted that as well for treatment of these kids?
1: Yeah, yeah. And we've published paper on IACs in uh, transradial uh, approach for IACs in babies. Uh, So at this point, two years old and above, I'm doing them transradial. Two years to 10 years old, I'm doing them uh, without any uh, guide catheter. So I go with a marathon from the wrist all the way up to the ophthalmic artery. Uh, so I put I use as a sheath the dilator of the uh, micropuncture for French micropuncture kit, the gray dilator, I use it as a sheath and then I go in with the marathon and I navigate the marathon from the wrist all the way to the ophthalmic artery. Those are because those ba- kids less than 10 years old I don't want to use a, a guide catheter and the sheath to, to keep low profile. Above 10 years old, I use a four French Prelude sheath, the Merit Prelude sheath. And then I use a four French SIM-2 catheter where I would hook the common carotid proximally And then I would go up with the, with the marathon catheter. Originally, we were doing only the right side. But then later on, I start doing left side. And uh, this is in just when I use the micro catheter alone. Originally, I thought it would be difficult to catheterize the left side with only the micro catheter, only the marathon. But then later on, after so many cases, we're able to catheterize the left side without any guide catheter, just with the marathon. And now I'm doing right and left for two years and above transradial. It makes a big difference because those babies, otherwise you have to sedate them for six hours so they won't bend the, the hip. And uh, they need to sleep for six hours, uh, you know, after impact you with the with the mom next to them.
0: Yeah, no, no, completely. I, I completely understand. Just going over some of the, the findings in your study you're, you concluded by saying that local factors relating to the chemotherapy and selective microcatheterization of the ophthalmic artery are essential factors. Would you say that In general, you would think that the infusion of the chemotherapeutic agent is really what triggers the occlusion of the ophthalmic artery, or is it the actual physical manipulation of of getting into the ophthalmic artery?
1: I think it's the physical trauma to the endothelium getting it because as I said earlier, and we couldn't demonstrate this, but earlier when we first started more than 10 years ago, uh, we used to see it when we go, we used to go to to the one third of the ophthalmic artery and bring our micro catheter there. And when we started uh, catheterizing just the ostium, we saw a drop. So so I think it's a combination. It's multifactorial. With our paper, we, we weren't able to really differentiate what, what part. That's why we were a little bit vague in the conclusion. But I think it's a combination of multiple factors. The most important one is the physical Trauma to the endothelium, but definitely uh, the type of the chemo you're using, the fact that uh, for some time you you're not having any flow in the artery, all you are infusing is the is the IAC
0: with that. Yeah, no, and and, and frankly, I'm a little surprised by Pascal because you didn't mention that in your paper that um, you know catheterizing the proximal arteries probably you know the the best way to go and certainly something that you have uh, adopted now so um you know we're looking at here 200 or so cases when along the course of these cases did you start changing your operative technique
1: so the microcatheter, we did it early on the first year in around 2008, nine, when we started doing it. And it was without just looking, it was we noticed that. And this is when we started doing that's why we don't have any statistics that can reflect that. But I, I think after after 20, uh, yeah, we, we talk about treatments like in this paper, it's two hundred or something patient, but it was 668 treatments because it's mainly that how many treatments that counts. So I would say at the beginning, after 20 to 25 treatments, at that time, uh, we modified it and we start going proximal what i also modified but it doesn't have anything to do with the ophthalmic artery occlusion is the way i do it and uh, at the second the second year i modified that even when i go transfemoral i don't use any guide catheter i go with the marathon from the groin up to the ophthalmic artery so this will uh, minimize uh, you know risk of dissection risk of putting high caliber catheters in the in those little babies so it's just a, a marathon all the way up from the groin sure
0: okay Great. Well, um, Pasco, just to just to finish up here, um, if you could talk about, a little bit about the follow up for these patients. Yeah. When are you satisfied? When is your work done? I mean, you're yeah. you're obviously embolizing four, five, six times here. When when it, when is the procedure done? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a great question. So it depends on the grade. And uh, as you know, so a is divided between grade A to E. A is the smallest uh, tumor. E is the really big, big tumor by volume. Uh, And what happens is uh, the ophthalmologist will see the patient and then uh, refer the patient for IAC. And after every treatment, four weeks after my treatment, the patient will get an EUA exam under anesthesia. And they look at the tumor and they measure it and then... uh, the patient will come back for another treatment. And uh, usually what we do is once either the tumor is scarred down, that's it, or it shrank completely. Once the ophthalmologist thinks that it's completely gone, we do one more treatment just uh, to be sure. And then they started coming back initially once a month for, and once they are judged by the ophthalmologist that they are cured, they start coming back once a month, then once every couple of months, then three months, then once a year. And at any point, there's any suspicion of recurrence. To, uh, they they uh, are sent back and we treat them. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I just got an email today about someone, a patient saying, "You you don't remember us, but you treated our daughter 10 years ago. This is her picture. She was one year old and now she is 10 years old. And they sent me the other picture. And it's like, we never had the chance to thank you, but this is our daughter and she's doing great. So I have now, well, it says that I'm getting old, but I have now a lot of patients where they were babies, now they are like 10 and 11 and 12 years old. So it's really rewarding to see those kids.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, the, the, there's nothing better than that. And so uh, yeah, just not to not to end on a sour note, but um, of the patients that you've treated, all of these 624 successful OAC infusions, how many of those patients actually went out to have a nucleation? So, so yeah,
1: this was not our biggest series. Our biggest series just came out. uh, And we have around 15% overall, all comers, all grades, that will ended up having a nucleation despite IAC.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah which this was much higher numbers uh, before the advance of uh, IAC. And a lot of them used to get external radiation, as you know, the, all the mm-hmm. side effects in a growing brain of having radiation and things
0: like that. Sure. And just finally, Pascal, in, in terms of the chemo therapeutic agents that are being infused, is, is there something changing? I am, uh, obviously, Malpholin works yeah. works well. Yeah, uh, but yeah. uh, what's on so,
1: the horizon? Yeah, so our, our go-to is, uh, is Malfalan. Uh, we also use, uh, in, in cases where there's a recurrence or high-grade, high, high grade, we use topotecan also, which is an, a topoisomerase inhibitor. Uh, so, so mainly Malfalan and, in some cases, topotecan.
0: Great. Well, um, you know, this this was fantastic. This is uh, really interesting stuff and, and, I think, a disease that we can treat. Uh, and we can treat effectively as interventionists, and and I think Pascal Jabour today, who really has I think pioneered uh, this treatment, and and continues uh, with his group to refine this uh, this treatment modality. So I'd like to again remind everybody that uh, this manuscript is online uh, as well as in the print journal. It's entitled The Incidents and Predictors of Ophthalmic Artery Occlusion in Intraarterial Chemotherapy for Retinoblastoma. We're honored today to have Pascal Jabor. Thank you, my friend. Continue to uh, support our journal. We, we love it, and it's good to see you.
1: Thanks a lot. It was a really great pleasure to chat with you, Philippe. Thank you.